Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. You know, um, when, we, when, when we were, you know, thinking of this idea, like praying about planting a church, um, as I went to that little lake house and began to write down vision for our church, I also asked God, I said, God, would you give me some scriptures that will really be like an anchor for us to hold on to as we, as we grow as a church, year one, year two, year three, year 20, year 50, God, even beyond uh, my lifespan, God, would you give us scriptures that we can always go back to? And I felt like God brought me to three different scriptures. One of the scriptures, you need to write this, this down. Um, you need to know this. Is this if this is your, your church, your spiritual family, you need to know the things that make us who we are. It's not just that we do things or don't do things. We need to know who we are as a people, who we are as a church, who God has called us to be. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do and you'll know what not to do. And so uh, this is who we are as a church. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. I've quoted this here before. Probably, we've probably talked about this a few times. But Jeremiah 29, 7 is great. It says this. God is speaking prophetically through a guy named Jeremiah. He's a prophet. And he's speaking to the children of Israel who have now been displaced from their city, Jerusalem. And now they're in Babylon in captivity. And he speaks this word to them. He says, guys, he goes, I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've placed you. Uh, into exile. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Pray for it. If it prospers, you'll prosper. And here's what's interesting is that they did not actually like their city. They did not like Babylon. They were in Babylon. These were people that were very different from the Jewish people. These were people that were, not, they were oppressing them as followers of God. These were people that lived completely different lifestyles as the followers of God. And so they looked at the, the Babylonians as pagans, as bad, and the city was bad. And so they, they literally were living outside of the city. And God speaks to them. He says, listen, he goes, I want, you to, to, I want you to live your life right in the middle of them. And I want you to live for the city. I want you to be a blessing to the city. I want you to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. I want you to make sure the city prospers because if you'll take care of the city, I'll take care of you. God gave this scripture to us and we felt like God said, I don't want you to plant a church and start a church for the church, but start a church that is for the city. God did not call me to pastor a church. God called me to pastor a city. God called me to pastor a region. God called us to plant churches that will plant churches that will reach the nations of the earth. And so God has not just called us to just this city, but to cities around this region and to cities, great cities all over the world. Our desire through ARC is that there would be a life-giving church planted in every single city in the earth today. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's a pretty big vision. Our vision is that God has told us that, that you'll take care of the first city, and then I'm going to give you, this is what God told us, I'm going to give you 10 cities in the Bay Area. Now, you may think that's crazy, like, Jason, come on, it's only like 150 of us in here, whatever it may be. Listen, I'm just telling you, I've got a big vision because i got a big God. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Like, if you're, if, listen, if your dreams do not scare you, like if your vision is not overwhelming for you, if it's not too big for you, it's, it's, it's too small for God. Like it's, it's got to be big. You got to have a big vision for what God's called you to. And we have a big vision. We just see this church, man, listen, just having, having a footprint all over this region and, and seeing spiritual renewal and revival in the Bay Area. And we believe that that can happen. We just believe that God is true to his word and that God cares about the cities in this region because it's filled with people and God loves people. So that's one of the things we felt like we want to be a church for the city. Everybody say for the city. When before the city, practically it's outreaches and serving of the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and those that are going through a very hard time that are disadvantaged, we want to give our advantage away. How many know that you can't be taken advantage of when you freely give your advantage away? 
We want to be for our city. There's a lot of Christians that are not for this city, but we want to be for this city. Some Christians think this city is too dark, too hard, too immoral, too whatever. We think it's just perfect because God has been set up in such a way to do a miracle in this city to where only he can get the credit. It won't be slick programming. It won't be doing churchy things. It will have to be a revival and a spiritual renewal that's brought about, listen, that's brought about by the Holy Spirit of God being poured out on a church and on churches and through Christians to where it mobilizes us not just to sing a bunch of kumbaya songs and to gather in a church building, but to go out and to serve people in our city. That's who God's called us to be as a church, that we'll be a church for the city. About... 30% of you really felt something on that. I'm telling you, the better you you shout, the better I'll preach. And and the faster I'll preach too. And then there's there's two other scriptures that God gave us. and, And these are for the church. So the first one he gave us was for the city. And I think he gave us that one first because he, he didn't want us to lose sight of the fact that it's easy as Christians to turn inward and to think that this church thing is just for us. It's easy to, to think that worship was, when we come together and we worship, that it was, it was for us. It's easy to think that, that when we come together that everything is, it's the consumer mentality that America so easily has just, we've become these consumers. It creeps into the church and now everything becomes about us. And so we can leave a church service and somebody can say, how was church? Well, worship was okay. Well, when was worship ever about us? Right? And so I think he gave us this scripture of for the city is to remind us is that as followers of Jesus and as a church, we're to be a church that is for the city and for people that are not yet here. We're not just to come to church. We're to be the church in our city. We're not just to be okay with just showing up to church. We want to bring people with us to church. Why? Because we believe that the gospel is true and we believe that God loves people and we believe that there are lost people outside of this church that needs to know So the other two scriptures that God gave us for you, so one was for them, for the city. But for those of us that say Sozo Church is our home, this is what God gave us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. He is the one we proclaim. Who is he? Jesus. Jesus is our message. You see it, it's on the sign out there when you walk out. Jesus is our message. We don't preach, <coughs> we don't preach politics. We're a party-free church. We don't preach Jason's soapbox. Oh, <laughs> a few people felt something on that. We preach Jesus. Jesus is the one that we proclaim. Paul said, we proclaim Jesus. It's by the name of Jesus that people are saved. Not by a denomination, not by a philosophy, not by an idea, but it's by the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We proclaim Jesus. There's healing in his name. There's salvation in his name. There's freedom in his name. There's deliverance in his name. Whatever you need is found in Jesus. Jesus is the one that we proclaim. And then he goes on, he says, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. I love Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson says with, with unusual common sense, right? It's like, it's, it's like we use everything that we can, we can use to teach and to admonish with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature, fully mature in Christ Jesus. Paul says, to this end, I strenuous, strenuous, stren, stren, <laughs> strenuously, thank you, Jesus, strenuously contend 
with all the energy or power that Christ so powerfully works in me. Here's what Paul's saying. The end goal for me, the vision, vision is where you want to end up. He says, the vision for me is this, is I want to present every person that the Lord entrusts my leadership and ministry to, I want to be able to present them to the Lord fully mature in Christ Jesus. He says, that's the goal. That is why I work hard. That is why the dream team wakes up at 5 a.m. to show up here, to set up, and to serve all of us. It's because the goal is not to pull off a cool church service. The goal is not to have a kumbaya, hurrah, like Jesus is awesome, whatever. The goal is that all of us, we would become fully mature in Christ Jesus. That is that we would reach our full potential in Jesus. That we would not be the same this time next year as we are right now, that we would continue to mature, we'd continue to grow, that we'd continue to know God in a deeper way, that the areas of our life where there's not freedom and healing, that by the time, this time next year, there'll be more freedom, there'll be more healing, there'll be more liberty, we'll be able to see things from a clear view, it won't be all clouded with all of our brokenness and our issues and all of the things that we've dealt with, but, but that God could free us up, he could deliver us, and that if, if this year we just come to church, by next year maybe we're leading a small group, and if by next year we're leading a small group, maybe God's using your spiritual gifts to build the church and that every single year we'd get stronger and stronger and more mature and more mature. That is the end to which we labor. That's the goal. The goal is not butts and seats. The goal is not building buildings. The goal is not just to get big budgets. I like big budgets and I cannot lie. I mean, listen, I thank God he's going to give us buildings. I thank God he's going to bring resources and we're going to have budgets and we're going to be able to bless people. I thank God for the events that we'll do. I thank God for all those things. But more than any of that, Jesus is not coming back for budgets and buildings. He's coming back for his bride that has been prepared. He's coming back for us that we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, that we'd become more like Jesus. This is the end to which we labor. Paul says this, and when I labor like that, God's power works through me. Listen, a church that is powerless is a church that has lost its way and is just busy building buildings and getting budgets together and whatever and doing programs, and they've lost the awe of just seeing people mature in Jesus Christ. I never want to be a church that forgets that this is what it's all about. It is about us every year growing in our love and zeal for Jesus. It is our devotion not decreasing and diminishing, but getting stronger and stronger. That, that, that in five years and ten years, we are more in love with him. Yes. Not that we have diminished and that we've grown cold or that we're lukewarm or that we've, we've slidden backwards in our relationship, but that we've taken step after step closer to this man, Jesus that we know his love to a greater degree and that we love him to a greater degree. This is the end to which we labor. But the verses I want to focus on is, is the third one that God gave us. And it, and it dovetails into the last one. Because this is what God, when I was, I was praying about our, our vision Sunday, God said, I, I, don't want to, I don't want you just to come up with some clever new thing. I want to actually bring you back so I can bring you forward. I felt like he said, I want to return you back to that lake house moment when I gave you this verse of scripture. And this is what I want to speak prophetically into this church about where I'm bringing you over the next 12 months. It's this, Jesus has just died, gone to the cross to win the victory for God's people, disarming the powers of darkness. He's overcome death, hell, and the grave. Now he gathers his, his followers together. He spends a significant amount of time with them, teaching them, being with them, showing them proof that he truly was risen from the dead. And right before he ascends, he gathers, he gathers a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and, 
you know, just average Joes. He gathers them on a hillside, these disciples, Peter, James, John, you know the crew. He gathers these guys. Why was that funny? <laughs> you guys laugh at the wrong things. Don't laugh at the stuff I think you're going to laugh at. Say so what's, I've been in church before, you know, where people are like, they verbally participate, they say amen, and like they say it in the wrong spot. It's like, people are going to hell, amen. What? Don't, guys, that's not cool. Like, why do you do that? Like, okay, back to the text. So Jesus gathers the group, the group together. And these are his, his, his last words. Your final words, your last words are usually your most important. When someone's on their deathbed and they're about to die, if they can still speak, you know what they want to say to their children? Not like, hey, bring me my, my piggy bank. That's not it. It's not bring me my 401k. It's not that. It's usually this, I love you. Or it's this, I'm sorry I failed you. It's the most important thing you say it in the last part of, of, of your time together. Jesus looks at them and look what he says. Jesus came and he told his disciples in Matthew 28, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Dr. Charles Spurgeon, he said that this word that's dominant in this text is the word all. Look at what he says. He says, he says um, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the nations of the earth. I want you to teach them all of the things that I've told you to teach, all, all the things that I've given you. And you can be sure that I'm going to be, be with you all of the days that you do this. The word is all. And it says, if Jesus is making this all call, to this group of people saying, as disciples of mine, now I'm leaving you with this. I've made you into a disciple, and now I want you to, to make others into disciples. I want you to help other people become fully devoted followers of my way. I want them to practice my way, Jesus is saying. He goes, this is an all call. This, this isn't, it doesn't stop here because I'm leaving. Like, this is on all of us. It's not just for, for John because he's the one that, that says that I love him. It's not just for Peter, James, and John. It's not just for the three, the spiritual elite in the group. It's for all of you. It's for all of us. This is not just the pastor's job or the priest's job or the prophet's job. It's for disciples. If we're followers of Jesus, the onus and responsibility is on all of us to go and to make disciples. It's an all call. And I think what Jesus is saying is this, is it's not only an all call for all of us, but it's a call for you to be all in. It's commitment. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm not leaving you with a thousand different things to do. I don't want you to go and do bake sales to raise money for missions. Like, like, I'm telling you, this is what I'm, I'm not coming back for anything else other than disciples. And so you need to get to work on making disciples. I want you to be all in. This is what I'm calling you to do. I really felt like the Lord said that, that the next 12 months for us as a church is this. Is this, is this is a year of discipleship. What does that mean? And Jason, have we not been making disciples up until this point? No, we have. And will we stop after one year making disciples? No, we will continue. But this is a strategic, prophetic, more than strategic, a prophetic focus for our church. God's saying that I want you to lean everything into this. 
I want all of you to lean everything, your resources, your time, your energy, your prayers into this right now because this is the priority of heaven. And I want it to be the priority of not just your church, but your lives. I want you to go all in with this idea. Colossians 1 backs up into verse 9, and look what it says so I can define for you really what a, a disciple is. Actually, I'm sorry, before that, there's a quote that Dallas Willard said in one of his books, uh, a great book about discipleship. He said this, a disciple is a person who has decided, listen to this, a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. It's the most important thing. It's more important than your job. Listen, I'm going to say something strong. It's more important than your spouse. It's more important than being a parent to your children. The most important thing to a disciple is I just want to know who Jesus wants to me, me to become and what he wants me to do. Because therefore, if that becomes the priority, you will be the best dad and the best spouse and the best boss. You will be so good. But when you get things out of order, it just doesn't work. Is I want to be a disciple. I want to learn what it means to take on this yoke of Jesus, to be like Jesus, to become like Jesus, to respond like him, to think like him, to have an attitude like him, to lead like him. I want to be like Jesus. This is what a disciple is. It's a student. It's an apprentice. It's a learner. It's a follower. We live in a generation in the church where people can say they're followers of Jesus, but not actually follow Jesus. Where we can claim I'm a Christian. I've prayed a prayer. I have my name on a membership, but I don't actually obey the commands of Jesus. My life doesn't look anything like Jesus, but I'm a Christian. I've got fire insurance, whatever that is, right? It's like, how can we? And he says, I want you to follow me. Colossians chapter one, I think this is three. It shows us three components of what it means to be a disciple. But Colossians chapter one, verse nine says, so we have not stopped praying for you, Paul says, since we first heard about you. Watch what he says. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you, give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. Notice it's knowing and believing begins to shape behavior. A lot of times behavior modification is this, is I'm going to try to fix myself and behave right before we know right and believe right. You can't behave right until you first believe right. You can't believe right until you have a spirit of understanding and revelation. That was a better preaching than you're shouting right there, okay? <laughs> then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Some of your translations say it will it'll produce good deeds. It's works. It's action. All the while, look at this. You will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Here's, discipleship can be broken down in these three things right here. It's very simple, very easy. If you're not taking notes, you should be. They're going to determine the size of your mansion in heaven, okay, based on your notes. <laughs> knowing, becoming, and doing. This is it. Three components to discipleship is knowing, becoming, and doing. Knowing what? Gnosko is the word. It's more than intellectual knowing. It's intimacy. It's relationship. It's not just knowing about God. It's knowing him. It's him speaking to you. You speaking to him. You sensing his love. You sensing his acceptance and his affirmation. You know him personally. You know him relationally. This isn't religion. This is like, I know God and he knows me. This is a knowing. It's not just knowing intimately though. It is, according to the text, it is knowing intellectually. It is having understanding and reason and logic. It is understanding the scriptures. It is understanding proper doctrine. It's understanding what it is that God calls you to. And it's understanding fundamentals and truths about God. It's understanding. 
It's revelation. It's wisdom. There is a knowing component to it. But it's not just knowing right. It's actually living right. It's becoming. It is this, is that you start to become more like Jesus, both in your character and conduct. It's not enough to say it's by grace, I'm saved, and now I can live however I want. Disciples don't do that. Not true disciples. True disciples, they lean in and they, they, they say, Jesus, how do you want to change me in my character and my conduct from the inside out, not from the outside in? And you start to become like Jesus. The more you know him, the more you can become like him. But we live in a generation, as I said earlier, where people just throw the grace card and say, well, I've, I've prayed the prayer. I'm saved. It's by grace. I know I keep messing up, but grace, grace. I know I live with my boyfriend, but grace, grace. I know that I cheat on my taxes, but grace, grace. I know I drive 89 on the way to work because I'm always running late because work starts at 7, but I wake up at 6.55. Grace. <laughs> grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We can't earn our salvation but listen, we do have work to do once we are saved. The Bible says not to take the grace of God in vain. You know what that means? It's not to receive God's grace and then live sloppy however we want. It's to allow his grace not just to save us, but to change us and to empower us to live a life like Jesus. It's that our character and our conduct looks different. Y'all may be thinking like, why are you preaching so hard? Because this is just like God speaking this to me too. Not just you, me. I, got, I was doing an interview the other day uh, with this magazine deal, and, uh, and we were talking about this, how, how now um, a lot of pastors think that discipleship, which is essentially spiritual formation, it's being formed into the image of Jesus. A lot of pastors in churches and denominations think that discipleship is for the people in the, out there, and then we think everything else is about leadership for us. When you, it's, discipleship is not a destination. Like we continue, I should continue being formed into the image of Jesus. Ask my wife. I should. We never arrive. We're constantly being transformed and conformed into the image of Jesus. That's, that's what this thing's about. It's knowing, it's becoming, but listen, it's also doing. It's doing. Jesus said greater things they will do than I have done. So if we're a disciple, we start to know the right things about God, and we start to know him intimately. We begin to know Jesus intimately, but then we start becoming more like Jesus. Our morality begins to change. We don't talk the way we used to, act the way we used to. We don't do the things we used to. We don't go to some of the places we used to. Why? Because we want to live a life that honors Jesus. That's what a disciple is all about. But then it moves to this place of doing. Now you begin to do good deeds. You begin to serve. You begin to be a blessing. You begin to be generous. You begin to do things for other people. That life is no longer about yourself. So it is knowing, becoming, and doing. Greater things, Jesus said. We should do greater things. Disciples of Jesus do things. We know things, we become like him, but there's also things that we do. Amen. I love this. Dallas Willard, said, Dallas Willard said this, you know the phrase, the elephant in the room? You know, it's like whenever you stink and everyone knows it, but you don't know it, but no one says anything about it. I actually have a new fragrance on and it smells a little bit like smoke. And uh, I haven't been smoking, I promise. <clears throat> Not today, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's too early for that. But uh, I walked up on stage, I walked down off the stage, and, and Allie over here, everybody was like, come here, let me smell you, and they smelled me. Allie thought the building was on fire. She was like, I smell smoke, it's your fragrance. It's like, awesome. Why'd I tell you that? I don't know. Um, but Dallas Willard said this, he said, the el listen, to this. this is so good, the elephant in the church is non-discipleship. 
The elephant in the church is non-discipleship. We think that just because people show up, people's lives are being transformed. And pastors and church people, ministers are okay with it as long as the budgets are up, the buildings get bigger, and the pews get full. And no one's life is changed and transformed by the power of Jesus. That's not okay at our church. We'll deal with the elephant. Is that our lives will be transformed. We will be disciples of Jesus. I did not sell all my possessions and move here and sacrifice the few things I've sacrificed so that I can just do church. I want to stand before God, as Paul said, and I want to present Sozo Church, every person that would be willing, because the onus and responsibility is not just on me, it's on you, but that I'll be able to stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, here she is, here he is. I did my very best to prepare them for you. I did my very best. I want to present them fully mature to you, Jesus. That's why the mission statement of our church, the vision is on the walls here. We want to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. But our mission, we exist to help people reach their full potential in Jesus. That's why we exist. We don't exist for you to come and feel good at church. We exist for you to become like Jesus. We want to make disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Jesus. Another person said the greatest issue facing the world today, not just the church, but the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who identify themselves as Christians will actually become disciples, students, apprentices, and practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven. Here's the first thing. Write this down. I'm going to give this to you. Based on Matthew 28, this is what I really feel. Jesus is counting disciples, not decisions. Here's one thing for you. He's counting disciples, not decisions. In many church circles, ours as well, we do have a moment at the end of service. We say, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, every head bow, every eye closed. I don't know why we do this. Every head bow, every eye closed. No one looking around. Lift up your hand if you want to become a follower of Jesus. I'm probably going to do it today, so just prepare yourself, right? <laughs> no, today I'm going to be like, every head up, every eye open, everyone looking around. Look at the person next to you. A lot of times I think we do that because whenever no one raises their hand, we just go, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. And it just sounds cool. I'm kidding. We don't do that, guys. <laughs> Some people do. <clears throat> but you know what's interesting? Jesus in Matthew 28, he did not say, go into all the world and get people to make a decision to follow me. Making a decision is easy. Making a disciple is really hard. Following Jesus is a lot harder than just praying a little prayer. And Jesus is not counting prayers we pray or cards we fill out. Those things are important. You count what you care about, and what Jesus is counting is disciples. He's counting people being transformed into his image and becoming like him and following him to the best of their ability. That's what counts in the kingdom, is are we becoming more like Jesus? But notice in the text is that you make disciples. That is that they're made. They're not just converted. And, and, and now there's a book right now that I'm reading. It's really great. It's called uh, Conversion and Discipleship. You cannot separate the two. And in American church, what we've done is, is we've made this, the gospel about getting people to pray a sinner's prayer. And it's just about conversion. And now what we've done is we've reduced the gospel down to conversion when the gospel of the kingdom is actually about, hey, die to yourself, come and follow me. That's the gospel. Discipleship is not praying the prayer of salvation. Discipleship is when you pick up your cross, Jesus said, and you follow me. That is that you have to die to your flesh. You have to die to your preference. You have to die to your proclivity. 
The call of salvation is a call to come and die, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. But we die so that he may live in and through us. This is what it means to follow Jesus. But because it's, it's ma- the making of disciples, it lets you know that it is a process. I think that there's many, many times in churches, and, and, and I, I've had story after story that have told me this, people have prayed a prayer of salvation, but then later on, weeks later, months later, been disillusioned because their life looked no different. Because they've thought that if they just prayed some prayer that their life would be different, when really that was just the beginning of starting this journey and this process of being transformed into the image of Jesus. But what that takes is it takes spiritual family to come around that person to help them become like Jesus. That's why at the end of all of our services, though we may say pray with me and fill out this card, we say your next step is so important. Start taking step after step. Let us go on this journey with you because you cannot do this thing by yourself. It is a process and it takes time and you need people to come around you to do that. Now, here's here's what we do, though. When we're just counting decisions of people raising their hand or people filling out a card and we celebrate that, then here's essentially what that's like. That's like just having a baby, delivering a baby and abandoning that baby and saying that that parent was a good parent. Listen, you're, only, you're not a good parent because you can deliver a child. You're a good parent because you can develop a child. And so our call as a church is to help people become developed and to become transformed into the image of Jesus. He's counting more than decisions. He's counting disciples. This is a real problem in the church. We get people to pray a prayer of salvation as a get out of hell prayer, get your ticket to heaven, but nothing in their life ever changes. So salvation has become this transactional moment where we give God our sin in exchange for a one-way ticket to the good place, but nothing ever changes in our life. Listen to me. I'm telling you, that is not the gospel, and that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to walk with people on their journey every step of the way. Another guy said this, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven when you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. This is what it means to be a disciple, to learn the way of Jesus, to live like Jesus now. Let me give you this next point and I'll I'll hurry. Second thing I want you to write down is this, is that making disciples is a commission, not a suggestion. Notice in your, in your Bible, if you have a Bible, if you don't, we have some Bibles in the lobby there, that the heading is the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. And this is true for a church, but may I submit to you today, this is true for you. That you're called to be a disciple maker if you're a disciple. That this is not just Jason's job. I want you to feel the weight of this today. I don't want you to feel bad or guilty, but I do want you to feel responsible is that as a disciple of Jesus, the onus and responsibility is now on us to now to show people what it means to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus, but also to teach people and to pour our lives into people. And let me tell you this. I told our team this the other night. You, you may feel overwhelmed when you think about that. Like, I feel so inadequate. How am I going to make a disciple? How am I going to teach somebody? I don't really know a whole lot. I'm just becoming a Christian. Listen, you know more than you think you know. You have more to give than what you think you have to give. Paul simply said this. He said, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. That's a pretty simple discipleship plan right there. I'm going to follow Jesus to the best of my ability. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to do the way of Jesus. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. I'm just going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to look back and say, hey, come and follow me as I follow Jesus. Paul said this not as a, as, as a, uh, a person of perfection, but as a person in progress. 
And so if you're in progress, then all you do is say, hey, come with me. Come with me to church. Come with me to get coffee and we'll talk about what Jesus is doing in my life. Come with me and we'll, we'll pray together. Come with me. We'll go on an outreach together. Just follow me as I follow Jesus. It's not that complicated. One of the greatest things that I learned from one of my mentors, a guy named Mike Heyman, is that he, he never opened up the Bible with me and, and like said, hey, let's break down the book of Romans. This is going to be awesome. He's an 18-year-old. You think I really cared about that? Like, I, I just didn't want to have sex with my girlfriend or do something that would embarrass the church. Like, I was just trying to, like, try to, try to like, be moral. I didn't care about walking through the scriptures. I do now. I didn't then. But you know what Mike would do? Here's how, sim- here's how simple it was. He didn't, have to, he didn't break down some dissertation about whatever. He would just say, hey, Jason, I'm, gonna be, uh, I'm going to do a hospital visit. Do you want to come ride with me? I'll come pick you up. I'm like, yeah, cool, that's cool, let's do it. I would ride with him, and we'd go do a hospital visit, and I would just, I'm watching him, you know, I'm picking my nose, like whatever, you know. And he's over here, he's like ministering this person, and, and here's what, what was happening. I was observing him. I was watching his spirit. I was watching the way he cared for people. I was watching, I was listening to the words that he prayed. At three or four hospital visits later, he's like, hey, you want to come to the hospital visit with me? I go to a hospital visit with him. We walk into the room. He goes, hey, this is one of, our, one of our guys on staff or on our team here, Jason. He's with me today. Jason, why don't you pray for her? I almost, like, use the bathroom on myself. <laughs> so nervous. But because, because I'd been watching him, I knew what to do. I was scared, but I prayed. And I was just, I was in that process of knowing and becoming and doing but he just said, hey, just come follow me. Just come follow me as I follow Jesus. It's not as complicated as what we think. But listen to me. It is not a suggestion for you. I want you to hear what I feel like the Lord wants to say to you today. Is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to feel the responsibility that he's called you to make disciples. You do not live in this city or in this region to make money. To make dollars. Nothing wrong with that. But God has stationed you here not to make dollars to make a difference, and to make disciples of Jesus. It is not a suggestion. It is a commandment. It is a commission from him. It is. It's an all call. It's all of us. It's not just the dream team. It's you. It's, if we're on his team, we are the dream team. We're called to point people to Jesus and to teach people what it means to follow Jesus and to show people what it looks like to follow Jesus. You're not called to just make it to heaven. You're called to bring people there with you. More than your family, that's important. Start there. This is a good place to start. But more than that, the people that you work with, the people that you live nearby, the person at the coffee shop, the person at the restaurant that you go to every time because you're stuck in a rut and you haven't explored all the amazing restaurants in San Francisco. There are people waiting for you to show them the way of Jesus. And my prayer is that we would say yes to that all call Simple way you can do it today is this, is like, if you've never been in a small group, I want you to join a small group today. And here's why. Because I know it will change your life, but I want you to see how it's done because there's going to come a point where you're going to hear the voice of God that you need to lead a small group. But if you don't know what that looks like, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to be too intimidated to do it. But if you join a group today, you'll see what it's like and you can lead a group. And you can just invite some people. I went to a small group the other day. It was so cool. Will and Rebecca, their small group was about 10 people there, eight people there. And uh, we just kind of just had a good time. And, um, and there was a couple people there that do not come to our church. It's interesting. 
They're just inviting people to come and to have a conversation. That's it, just a conversation. Next thing you know, the next week, one of those people are at church. You just never know what God could, how God could use you in that journey and process. You don't have to know every answer. You don't have to, you know, be able to quote every scripture in Romans and lead them down the Romans road, whatever that is. Like you don't, you don't have to do it. You just have to be engaged in the mission of Jesus to make disciples. Maybe the starting point for you is, is just starting to pray and say, Jesus, will you help me to be a better disciple and help me to make disciples? Maybe you're not a disciple of Jesus and you need to become a follower of Jesus today. Maybe that's your next step. There's another book I want to I want to tell you about. It's it's kind of funny book cover. Don't judge it by its cover, but it's called The Purple Book. And it's this book, I think the guy's name is Rice Brooks or something like that. It's very simple. It's a book where one person can take one person through this entire book and it lays out all the foundations of the faith. Literally, it's like start in Genesis. It's like, read a scripture. What does that mean to you? Well, here's what it means. And you can just walk through it and have a conversation with people. Get it. Go to Amazon and get it. If we had a ton of them, I'd give them to you, but we don't. So God bless you. Um, <laughs> there's another one that's out, out here called Following Jesus, a buddy of mine. He wrote this. It's really, it, look, it's very, it looks clean. It's very simple. I don't know how many we have today, but if you want one, go and grab it before anybody else does. And if we run out, then put your name down. We'll order some more. We want to resource you, we want to help you because listen, the only way we'll really be able to get momentum in this city and see spiritual renewal and revival is whenever the ministers and the members, the gap closes and we all start making disciples of Jesus. That's what happens. That's how revival takes place. It's not whenever we get good worship because we've already got that. It's not when we get good preaching because we already got that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all are so crazy. third one is this, is the presence of Jesus is promised to those who make his priority their priority. He says, go into all the world and make disciples, teach them how to follow me, baptize people, all those things. He says, listen, you can be sure of this. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you to the degree that you'll stay focused on my priority. I'm going to be with you. His, you know what his presence is? That brings his provision. That brings his power. It brings his guidance. It brings revelation. He's like, man, if you'll get in line, here's what we do as Christians. We go, God, will you bless what I'm doing? And God says, will you just do what I'm doing? There's a blessing already on it. There's a power when we make this a priority. There's a provision. There's, there's guidance. There's strength. God is with us. And not just the things that he'll do for us. Here's what's powerful. When you start, when you start making disciples of Jesus and seeing people's lives transformed, you begin to experience the presence of God in your life in a powerful way, and you start seeing God's presence and power change someone's life, there is nothing greater on this planet. Nothing. It's better than making millions of dollars when you see someone's life changed. When you see someone's life transformed and God used you to be a part of it, there's nothing better in the world. I promise you that. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that this year? Here's just a few things I want to ramble off to you. Small groups are a big deal for us as a church. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to appeal to you. I'm going to admonish you and ex exhort you in all the other spiritual language. At some point, at some point, if it's today or if it's next season, at some point in the next 12 months, this is an all call. Every one of us should either attend, lead, or co-lead a small group in our church. Here's why. Because that's part of the vision that God's given us as a church family. And if you're part of the church family, you need to be a part of that. 
okay? It's an all call, number one. Number two, I feel like dad talking to the kids. Number two is, is this, um, I'm so excited about this. In February, we're gonna start some freedom small groups. We're gonna walk through some curriculum that helps people find freedom, discover freedom in their life. And at the end of those 13 weeks, we're gonna do a freedom event. And we're gonna have some pastors from my sending church come in and we're gonna have a day where we're gonna have ministry time so that people can receive inner healing and freedom in their life from the things that have happened to them. Isn't that amazing? We're gonna do that next year or at the beginning of the year. I'm so excited. Um, Here's another thing that's great. Just to show you, we're putting resources and energy towards this. We're launching, uh, a lot of you guys have been able to go through the growth track, which is our, it's a two-week process. You discover about our church and about your spiritual gifts, and then you can find out where you fit within the spiritual family here. We do that every Sunday. Today is step one of them, one or two, <laughs> uh, in the growth track, up up in the teachers, uh, the, up in the library. Um, but there's some of you that have told us that you travel a lot, and so it's very hard, or you have kids, and you got to rush off after church. So listen, we're not going to make you feel bad about that. We're actually going to come to where you're at. So we've developed a digital platform where you can actually do the, I shot all the videos. It's beautiful where you can, you can actually go through the growth track online, on your phone, in your car, at your work, just don't get fired. Like you can, you can go through the growth track and every one of you, if you call Sozo Church home or like you're considering calling it your home in the next 12 months, I want you to do that. Go through the growth track upstairs or go through the digital growth track. But here's the other thing that's cool. On that platform, we're going to start uploading videos, very simple, short, bite-sized videos of things like this. How do you pray? Who is the Holy Spirit? What are spiritual gifts? What is prophecy? You know, how do I share my faith? We're going to continue to build that platform out so that you can be resourced but also in your journey of making disciples, you can watch that with someone and just have a conversation about it. We're so excited about that. Our team's working really hard. Matter of fact, could we clap our hands for our creative team? Thank you. And our Next Steps team. Here's another one for you. Can you do you have those pictures that you guys can put on the screen from uh, team night the other night? Do you have those pictures? I don't, I don't know if you do or not. Maybe you do. If they do, they'll pop up up there. But the venue that we started our, our church a gathering, the uh, little interest meetings uh, before the church started, was at a place called The Station SF. It's a little cafe down, I think it's off of Columbus. And it's right in the middle of downtown. It's so cool, right by the Transamerica building. It's beautiful. And uh, it's a small little cafe, but um, we were working with the, the management team there. And they said, hey, why don't we let you guys use our space? Uh, to do something because we have vision for saying there's a lot of people that work Monday through Friday and then go to Napa, Monterey, out of town or whatever. They got family stuff. So they just don't make it a priority to come to church on Sundays like you do. But we don't want to, again, we don't want to make people feel bad about it. We want to go. It's not come and see, it's go and tell, right? It's go out and make disciples. So we're doing uh, an experiment. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if anybody's going to show up. I really, you know, I'm just like, I'm trying stuff because I'm passionate about reaching people for Jesus, passionate about making disciples. And so we're launching something called Midweek. We're going to try three of these. They'll be downtown September, October, November. That's right down there. It's a 60 minute little service, little worship, little word, kind of like bringing Sunday to Thursday. And we're just going to invite people that are, people that maybe they get off of work on Thursdays, they want to go do that. This could be like an entry point for them to connect with our spiritual family here. And so be praying about that. Be praying with us and praying for us that God would bring people to that. If you'd love to serve or be a part of that, uh, we'll be rolling out some more details about that uh, through email and things like that. And then the last two things I want to tell you about is uh, this holiday, uh, we're going to really do a lot of focus outreach 
through this school here to reach families through the James Lake Middle School. God's given us favor and an open door. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna get out there. And I want you to be a part of those. This, this holiday season, I want you really to lean in. Remember, knowing, becoming, and doing, I want you to do some heavy lifting when it comes to compassionate action this fall. We're gonna give generously in our legacy offering. We're gonna make a difference. We're gonna, it's gonna be unbelievable. And so it's an all call. We're all gonna be a part of that. And then the last one is this. We need to pray about this. I don't have any clue how we're gonna do this, but I just really have been praying and sensing that we're supposed to have some type of like ministry asset, like a, um, a, a an outreach vehicle, almost like a, a, a big truck that I don't know how we're gonna pay for this. I don't know how we're gonna get it, but I know when you have vision, there's always provision, which means for the vision, God will bring provision wherein it's his vision. And God's given us vision to have an, a serve truck, an outreach truck where we can go, we can bring the church, we can bring grace, we can bring the gospel to people in tangible ways to meet their needs. We're gonna find out what those needs are in some of the surrounding neighborhoods and we're just gonna go and be the church and we're gonna go and serve people. And so we're gonna be telling you more and more about that. Amen. Come on, you clap your hands. Isn't that great? So what, what is it gonna take from us? Hey, here's what I'm asking you. Give me one year of your life. Go all in. I promise you if you'll give us one year of your life, go all in, that your life will be different. Your life will be better. If you're planted in the house of God, your life will flourish doesn't mean it'll be easy. doesn't mean it'll be perfect. It'll probably be inconvenient because if you're going to follow Jesus and make disciples, it's going to inconvenience you at times, but it will be better. Give us one year of your life. Be committed to this church, to grow, to learn, to be transformed. Go after God like you never have before in your life. Seek him diligently in prayer, worship, in the word, and fasting, and make the investment. Make the investment with your time, your talents, and your treasure. And I truly believe that spiritual renewal and revival, eventually it will happen in this city. It will happen. When? I don't know. After 12 months? I don't know. After 12 years? I don't know. There will be discouraging days when you're like, well, I'm doing all this. I'm serving. I'm giving. And I haven't seen. Listen, I don't know when will happen, but eventually it will break. There was a guy that, was, uh, that, that served uh, the poor in the late, late 1800s, early 1900s, and he tried to, to bring change and transformation um, by, by using policy. And he would get very discouraged because he had a vision to see the poor in his community, their lives transformed. But he would get so discouraged because it, it just seemed like it never happened, but he kept investing and working hard, never happened. And he said in his journal, journal entry, he said this. He said, the days I get discouraged, I go to the stone cutter's shed. He said, I'll go in there and I'll watch that stone cutter with a rock and a hammer. And he'll begin to strike after that rock, hit after hit after hit. And he said, at about the hundredth blow, the rock would split in half. But I know that it was not that blow. It was not that strike that, that, that cracked the rock. It was, it was all the blows, all the strikes before that led to that thing breaking in half. And so he said, so I tell myself, I will strike the rock. Listen to me, church. Let's just strike the rock. Let's keep striking the rock in prayer. Let's keep striking the rock with our finances. Let's keep striking the rock through pursuing him with everything inside of us. Amen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but spiritual renewal and revival will take place. We just have to do our part and strike the rock. Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.